Hey guys, Future Patrick here. Uh, two things before the start of the episode that I forgot to mention while we were recording. One is I'd like to say a really big thank you to Ben. Um, ben puts in a lot of time and effort trying to build the Farming Eternal community and responding to all the deck lists people send in and really puts a lot of thought and time into crafting feedback for everyone's deck lists that they send in. So I just... Uh, want to let everyone know that I, I hope they appreciate it and it would mean a lot to me and Ben probably if you if you said thank you and, and let him know that you appreciate it too. And the second thing is that I'm hoping in the next few episodes that we could do a tips and tricks episode. So I was wondering if um, all of you listeners out there, if you could send in uh, maybe alongside a deck list or just send an email, recommend just uh, saying maybe a short tip or trick or something about this format that you feel like some understanding of this format that you have that maybe you think would help the uh, the other listeners of this podcast. I'm leaving it very uh, vague and open right now to see kind of what uh, what feedback we get, but it could be anything as little as, hey, I think people are really underrating this card, or I think this card's overrated, or, hey, I think there's this little synergy, or this is working well for me. Really anything uh, that you think would help people improve at draft in this format. Anyway, I think that'll be interesting to compile if we get a bunch of those and to just do a show based on that. So if you guys have any ideas for any tips and tricks, please send them in to farmingeternal at gmail.com, and hopefully we can get that together in the coming weeks. Now enjoy the episode. Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaru, and Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer, and Ben, also known as Ben Grasher, the one who keeps this podcast growing. It's episode 20. Whoa, 20. Yep, we've made it to another round number. For those of you <laughs> tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're hopefully going to have a slightly shorter episode because Ruben and I are both very busy. Uh, We're going to talk about the buffs and nerfs that just happened, as well as do our usual seven-win breakdown. We're going to review a list by Micah B, talk about top time cards, and then review a draft by Mom. So now that I say that, I'm a little skeptical. Before we get into our um, our content this week, uh, we do need to take a moment to address the um, misplay podcast incident. It took a while to find Ben way up high on his top 16 throne, but he is now aware of the challenge by the misplay podcast, and he has decided to accept Jeff's challenge under one condition, that Jeff respect the competitive integrity of the game and has no outside assistant from Gots to Go or any other Eternal player that Jeff knows. Other than that, Ben will dine to play Jeff in any format of his choosing. The gauntlet has been thrown down. We're going to skip card of the week this week and go straight into the buffs and nerfs as our general altogether card of the week. So let's just go through these. They're not a ton, but they are, I think, significant. So first of all, it I found it fascinating that according to direwolf the three colors that i mean factions that needed 
buffing were time, shadow, and fire, <laughs> which based on our, I mean, they they did buff some a couple of commons and primal as well. So, um, justice obviously left off of this list for good reason. But I thought it was interesting that they added fire to this list. But they only got one card buff. But we'll just go through the first one that came up was adolescent death jaw. That is the yes, two it's time a th- three two yep. that shifts three and bounces an exhausted unit. Yeah, and it used to shift for four, so now it shifts for three, which is a pretty significant buff for this uncommon. I, I think this card was fringely, you know, it, it was kind of middle of the road, medium card, and now it's just been pushed up slightly in power level i I mean i i think it was already a pretty solid card just because a three two for two we've already discussed how great what the three the vanilla three two the art the soldier yeah the soldier was and this is just a soldier with shift upside that's been made slightly better so it's it's a very it's a very good uncommon now i think that's fairly significant buff the next one is a shadow card crooked alley guide which was the shadow card that was a three... It used to be a three, two for three that you could shift for one and you also scout whenever it uh, summons. And now it's a three, three. And I I was already... I had this fairly high on my pick order for a lot of decks just because I I enjoyed playing anything that shifted for one in any aggressive deck. So aggressive stone scar decks were really good with this guy and stuff, even aggressive Argent decks. And I, I feel like making this a three, three for three that scouts is baseline great. And now that it also has the ability to shift out for one. So this went from already slightly above average to me to like, (laughs) <laughs> definitely a little even more higher pick in your shadow deck so this is a pretty big buff to shadow i think in general this card becoming this much better that's a common so that's i think even more relevant these just mm-hmm. for the flow and feeling of of the format uh changes to commons are significant we'll get on to the next card which is an uncommon expedition leader which now costs two time and was three and that's the one that whenever you have a unit emerge um, from being shifted, you draw two cards. And I think this is a pretty cool buff. I do, in general, a good a good thing to, to take note of is when a card's cost is reduced, that's a huge, huge buff. That's about the best thing they, they can do for a card is make it cheaper to cast. Um, you'll, you'll see that a lot of times when they want to nerf a card and they have no idea how to do it, they'll just add one to its cost, and that usually does the trick, because reducing a cost is and increasing a cost have such a high impact on it. So this, this card was, I think, not really that good, and is now still not insane, because you do have to have some things going right for you, but it's at a much lesser cost now, because it's a 1-1, one, one, right? Yeah, it's a 1-1. One, one. Yeah, so it's it's not anything impressive. So it really did used to feel bad to use your three power drop on a 1-1. One, one, and now it's only two. It's a little more cost-effective and easier to build around. So I, I like this change. I'm excited about the Expedition Leader 1, too, because I feel like it still could very well be a bad card, but it it's now at a cost, a cost where you can at least explore it and kind of give it a try as where 
you know, when it was three time, it just felt like it was too dangerous to to play. Yeah, I agree. That's that. That was always my feeling about it. I, I always was intrigued by it, but it always felt like it was well. Just it's such a powerful average. ability. Draw two cards, even in limited formats. If you can build around this guy, get a bunch of crooked alley guides, and then you got a a Zenon powerhouse of a deck right there. So the next one, and this was the one that was most interesting to me personally, is Tantrum, which is the card that used to cost three. It's fast, right? Oh, no, it's not It's not a fast spell. So this was an uncommon. Uh, deals two damage to an enemy, and if double damage and overwhelm if you have a shifted unit. And they decrease its cost from three to two. Uh, so I think, you know, it, it's, it's just an uncommon, so it's not a huge change. But I thought it was kind of funny that they felt like they needed to give Fire's Burn Sweet some love. <laughs> I, I think that's interesting, because it seemed like they already had two pretty solid common burn spells floating around. Maybe this is an attempt to get people to play more synergy fire decks as compared to aggro fire decks. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. maybe people play more shift units or something. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's it's worth it to change your deck building that right, much. Yeah. Even at two, it's not it's a good card. It's not an amazing card. It's not a card worth building a deck around. It's kind of interesting because I guess Death Jaw, Alley Guide, and Expedition Leader are all shifting cards or shift matters cards that they buffed as well. So, it, I mean, this could be something to be paying attention to. Tantrum is a lot better. Like I just mentioned with Expedition Leader, reducing the cost of a card is super, super important. So I think I, this this card went from being barely on my radar at all to now probably something I'm going to consider from time to time, which is always good. I like that they make changes like that, though I do think Fire was has been doing pretty well so far um so our next we got two more and these were just buffs to primal and the first one is to elder meditant it used to be a one two for four with one primal influence and had aegis and you pay three to twist it to draw a card and they just buffed its power by one to make it a four power two two this is an interesting one i don't think this is going to change anything too much I, I've been throwing this guy in some decks from time to time, but they they weren't decks that didn't care too much about <laughs> how much power he had. But I, I think it, it could be potentially important just in raising the card's playability a, a hair. I don't know. Have you have you tried building around this guy at all, or what are your? No, I haven't thoughts? played a primal deck in a long time. Now <laughs> you've just been avoiding primal. I that's have. Right. That's not a bad policy. Even when it's open, I've not been playing Primal and been doing pretty fine. It's it's hard because it seems like Primal's uh, powerful effects are all locked into weird uncommons, and I, you just have such a short window of opportunity to, to get some of those that you're just left filling in your deck with horrible comments. So they, yeah, yeah the Elder Medicine buff maybe could help it trade with some slightly bigger things so it's a little more combat effective of a card but we'll see the next one was murderous flock it used to be a three three for four that got flying whenever you scout and now it's a four three for four just a vanilla four three for four is not bad i think that's pretty good that trades 
up to a lot of slightly more expensive stuff and it has increased its playability slightly. I feel like I would rather it be a 3-4. Yeah, actually, I think I agree with that. That would probably be more relevant right now in the format, the way things are looking. And and Primal in general seems to, to just be a lot of defensive types of effects and cards mm-hmm. that you're building around. They and, You know, flash freezes and things. So, yeah, I think building your deck more controlling and defensively is pretty typical for that faction but maybe someday we'll take a deep dive into primal and what it's actually what the successful decks are doing but um that's all we got for this so we move to 7-1 breakdown so this week we had another huge week we got 64 deck lists from 42 different contributors so i feel like it's pretty amazing that we're getting um, decks from so many people now. So thank you all for sending in your decks. For those of you who don't know, we have uh, two spreadsheets. We collect everyone's seven-win deck lists, and we have two spreadsheets that sort of analyze everyone's deck lists and tell you what factions are doing well, as well as lists all the um, all the deck lists. And then we have another one that goes does a card-by-card breakdown as well as kind of a list of people's curves and things like that. And you can see all of those. We have links to them in the show notes or in Ruben's um, Reddit posts on Reddit. So we now have over 220 lists uh, in only four weeks. So like usual, we like to thank everyone who contributed a list this week. So strap in because we have a lot of names. So new contributors this week are... Alex A, Battlescar Galactica 8, Doom Tomb, Hats on Lamps, Mancio 1982, Merrick H, Micah B, Ricochet, Smiley Z, Trent Z, Winter Mute, and Zerona. And as far as our veteran contributors, there's Adam H, Ben Gracier, Ben K, Celtic Guardian 7, Clint McCool, Collector, Colton S, Dubes, Elliot R, Fernando N, For the Eternals, Gots to Go, Gradiusic, Hot Nickelball, Jedi EJ, Jelly W, J Junker, Joey Andy Juve, formerly Aloran 44, Jose Carlos 2121, Michael B, Nate S, Nero, Raven Dragon with four lists, Ruben L, Rofer, Starstorm, Yis Tout, and Zelda 64. So thank you again, everyone. And for those of you who have never contributed before and would like to contribute, you can just send your exported deck list to farmingeternal at gmail.com. Yeah, it'd be much appreciated. Nice. Good job, guys. So this week is once again telling the same story, except more so. Uh, Time and Fire are each in over 50% of the deck lists. And Time surged this last week with being in over 65% of deck lists, while Primal went even further down with just 15% of the deck lists being Primal after its big surge week last week where it was 25% of the decks. Um, Justice also fell a little bit this week, which is interesting, especially in light of the fact that Justice didn't get any buffs and Fire and Time did. For those of you who haven't uh, looked at the spreadsheet, so... Right now, with uh, 225 decks, uh, time 115 of them have time, and 115 of them have fire, while only 49 of them have primal in them. It does seem like time and um, fire and time are continuing to be sort of where you want to be. 
as far as decks go. And in that light, Praxis actually took over from Rakano as the top drafted color pair. I mean, that, that kind of makes sense based on just the card quality across the board. Yeah. And what's nice is like a pra- the Praxis decks seem like they can go go either way. They can go fast, but they can also play a long game and rely on those time cards to have a late game too. Yeah, they've got some really powerful combo synergy, like like common combo synergies, like just ooze plus horn is itself kind of crazy, like being able to pump out multiple mm-hmm. guys with just a unit and what's essentially a common obelisk right now, which is pretty nuts. I mean, they're, yeah, like you said, the, the deck seems to be able to win fast and go a little bit bigger and over the top of other decks as well. Time has a lot of great units. Fire also has some great units. Yeah, and um, great removal. You know, yeah. What makes time better is having a, a nice removal suite like Fire has. Yeah, the, the I I feel like the most important thing to note is just just how bad Primal seems to be performing. Because <laughs> the other colors are the Shadow and Justice are not that far behind the Time and Fire. I mean, not significantly so. Justice is very much could be back in the mix next week but primal is just so it's that's the lowest i think we've still ever seen of a faction yeah um, in any format since we've been doing the show it makes a lot of sense you know part part of you wants to think that maybe it's just untapped potential we haven't figured out how to really solve that particular rubik's cube of primal decks but it's really just so many bad commons that aren't able to pull it through and get wins for it as much I think is holding it back for the most part. Your early picks, especially, I feel like a lot of people just get pulled in different directions than Primal, typically. Unless you get some of those really powerful uncommons and you manage to make them good. You know, like the Sprite or something like that. But yeah, in general, this this seems to be what I would have kind of expected out of the stats, based on what I'd seen in my drafts recently. Lots of people playing aggressive Praxis and Rakano decks, <laughs> especially. I don't know about you, but that's I or Combre even is a great pairing. I had my seven win run on Monday doing just a broken Combre deck with an Obelisk and just a bunch of units. It was like the units are just so powerful. I think in those faction pairings especially but anyway is there anything else you wanted to go over with the spreadsheet no, I breakdown that uh ben had a list he really really wanted us to talk about so all right let's look at it so this was sent in by micah b right yes nice it's, uh deck number 164 in the spreadsheet yeah okay when i looked at this earlier you told me about it i i just broke out laughing immediately when i saw it because right off the top, I just saw three fledgling outlets, which is the one one for two flying and warp owl, and that card hasn't really been on my radar <laughs> very much recently as playable. But this deck particularly, Micah built it as as a just building around certain warp synergies and certain warp enablers, like Trickster Mage, is the two three for three uncommon that uh, warps. Warp cards on top of your deck cost one less to play. And I have to say, the the percentage of warp cards in this deck is unreal. Yeah, there are 17 warp cards. Wow, yeah, that's crazy. Including four of the Sauropod Crasher, the 3-3 for 4 Dinosaur. But also managed to pull out a 
Ancient Clock Tower, which is the rare that when you warp a unit, it gets plus three plus three. And when you warp a spell or attachment, you gain three health. But being able to warp out your fledgling outlets as four fours for t- flying for two, pretty awesome. And obviously the sauropod crashers are uh, six sixes for four warping off the top of your deck. But that's not it. Also managed to get a terror on the mountain. And a Waystone Infuser. <laughs> Waystone Infuser is the one that your power cards have warp. And it also has warp. And it's a 2-6 for 5. And then Terror on the Mountain is the 7-drop Primal 6-6 six, six giant that w- has warp. And says when you warp a card, including Terror, stun an enemy unit. So uh, that it's so he's just able, if he gets any of these things going at the same time has one of the more most impressive engines I've ever seen in a draft deck. This is just very cool. I was saying I was doubtful that he could survive the onslaught of some of these really aggressive, uh, like Praxis and Ricano uh, decks, but I do think that this this deck is not losing the late game, that's for sure. Yeah. When everything in your deck has warp and you have all these warp combos, that's I mean, this is so cool. It's really fun to see that somebody had success taking a route like this. So it's just something to keep in your back pocket if you ever see a late, you know, clock tower or something get passed to you. And you're like, oh, wait, I already have a good number of warp guys in my deck. This this could happen. I don't know. You know, I, I just think it's it's kind of neat. Did you have anything you wanted to throw on that? No, I agree. It's a cool deck. It's maybe I would never be brave enough to try to draft this deck but i'm glad someone did and sent it to us well done micah that was fun so now moving on from seven win draft as a little foreshadowing for main topic uh we thought we would review some of the top time cards and kind of do a look back on what uh ruben and i said were our top comments or top time cards so in our spreadsheet so far, remember, this is with 225 decks. Um, the top common in time is Corrupted Behemoth, followed by Wormstone, Training Ground, Devotee of Sand. Yeah, so what do you think about these uh, top time commons? It's super interesting. I think we've talked before just about how the proportion of commons in the new set the ma- or whatever primary set you're drafting to the draft pack commons, the just yeah. those numbers kind of shake up, and I think that they they changed it so that you just see things like uh, aren't the draft packs a lot smaller right now? So, they are. Though the the this ordering that I just gave with one, two, three, and four is normalizes the the numbers between the set six and the draft packs. So you kind of, so it's sort of a normalized metric so that you can compare them sort of one-to-one, even though there are more commons in the draft packs than there are in set six. Oh, I see. So yeah, this metric isn't just sheer this number of a card. Exactly. I got you. Which is why, so like actually there are, as an example, in our 225 deck list, there are 61 Devotee of the Sands and only 60 Wormstone. But because there are fewer commons in 
set six, you will see more devotee of sands just in general. And so you would expect there to be, if they were the same power level, you would expect devotee of sands to appear in more deck lists than Wormstone. And you, especially because Devotee of Sands is a two drop and Wormstone is a four drop, which makes Corrupted Behemoth, which is like head and shoulders actually above the um, above number two Wormstone. So there are almost one Corrupted Behemoth in every single deck that we receive, sort of on average. Nice. Which is pretty incredible for um, a five drop. Like yeah. the fact that this is actually surprising to me, to me, and Mom kind of was leaning towards the order I picked when I, we talked to him a couple weeks ago, where he said he would pick Devotee of Sands over Corrupted Behemoth, pack one, pick one. But the fact is, there are uh, quite a few more Corrupted Behemoths showing up in our deck list than Devotee of Sands. Yeah, I think it's it's just um, a situation where the the beefiness of the formats are kind of at a low point compared to other formats we've seen in the past that it, it does kind of stand out. It, there's not a lot of big, powerful units, especially at the common slot across the colors that are very impressive and Corrupted Behemoth as a five drop is one of the most impactful. I mean, it's even compared to a lot of uncommons, I thought it looked really, really solid. So it's like the type of card that's going to make just about any deck you build. So is Devotee, to be fair. So I, I do think that I, I still totally respect people who say that Devotee is um, higher on their pick order for very early, early picks, just because... Yeah. I mean, that's just because the philosophy of, you know, you want your two drops to be solid before everything else. Um, it seems like in these draft formats, that, that's been kind of consistent, that good decks tend to have some good two drops. Yeah, um, but I guess that's part of what's so surprising to me, that Corrupted Behemoth is so much... There's so many more Corrupted Behemoths than Devotee of Sands in yeah. the we receive. I think you it's would just think the you size. would play as many devotee of sands as you could. Yeah. Well, there is an upper limit probably of the number of corrupted behemoths you would play. Yeah, I think they're they're pretty similar. Like I I could play a deck with a few corrupted behemoths, and I don't know if I'd want to have more than a few devotee of sands mm. in any given deck. Um, just for sheer top decking scenarios. I mean, a 4-6 for 5 is also just a crazy stat line, I think, all around, and has been really impressive. And the, the life gain is one of the first cards I ended up playing against, and I remember just getting destroyed by it. And I was like, wow, that was a common? Holy cow, that's yeah. terrifying. That thing just kept gaining life and hitting harder and harder, and you're like, the, it, you can kind of, if you play it properly, you can either sit back on it and block really profitably or uh, put some points into it, gain some health and start trading for multiple units or something, which always tends to win games too. Wormstone also being high up here is pretty cool. Um, I've, I've seen that card just doing crazy things because the, the spells matters stuff is super easy and tra having training ground with with this, you know, uh, normalized metric Ben is giving us, 
having training ground showing up way more than a lot of other cards is pretty interesting. I thought that that's probably the most fascinating unforeseen card in this grouping here for sure. But the fact that it triggers a lot of those spells matters cards and gives you uh, a decent two drop to cast as well, just a two two endurance for two, which is not terrible either. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty cool. So I I think the Wormstone deck is the real deal for sure. I think I've I've had other times where I've been less impressed with Wormstone, but this format at its current state, for the same reason, Corrupted Behemoth seems to be really good. Just humongous units always tend to trade for multiple other of your opponent's units. From from my experience, it seems like it's really hard to deal with something this big, and you have all these really easily accessible combat tricks and burn spells to also throw off combat math for these big guys coming in mm-hmm. that that just if if you can make it to that stage of the game it's a really powerful strategy yeah so let's talk about the uncommons uh okay. the only thing we really want to say about this is the number one uncommon is blurred stigmolic and it is nearly double the next few time uncommons which are temple standard scorpion wasp and novice entomancer so the only thing i think really to say here is blurred stigmolic is as good as you think it is probably yeah Yeah, i think it's it's in the top top three uncommons all around right now in in the format with obviously canon still is my number one but this this card's not far behind it's like a crazy powerful effect and it's really easy in this format to hit that uh seven power threshold for this card to start going crazy i mean there's a lot of you know even the ooze the common that creates units for you is an enabler for this card essentially so i anything like that is is really powerful i mean a seven six overwhelm for three is pretty hard to to beat (laughs) so yeah that that's the only noticeable one temple standard and scorpion wasp are pretty close i think right in our list here Mm -hmm. um with novice entermints are also pretty close as a cool new card yeah those three were close to each other there are, there are a whole bunch of time uncommons that are close to each other, but they are all way behind Blurred Stiggy. You want to talk about the top rare? Yeah, we'll just... It's it's Zine and Obelisk, surprise. Okay, let's keep going. Yeah, Moonstone, <laughs> Vanguard, and then Waystone Infuser's kind of an interesting one, and that's number three. That card's really terrifying to face down and draft and sealed. Like yeah. any any limited format, this card is the last thing you want to see your opponent play because it's gonna it's a two six for five, first of all, so it's really hard to get through, and then warping all of your power cards just gets really out of hand quickly. Um, okay. Now right. what does this all have to do with uh Mum's draft? Well stay tuned to find out. Shall we begin the draft? Yeah, let's talk about this draft. Oh, and then remember this uh draft is pre buffs. So um, I guess keep that in mind with some of these. But um, cards in contention, there's a Devotee of Sand, an Impatient Pyromage, which is the two fire, two, two, onslaught, draw card and reduce its cost by one, discard it at the end of turn. There's a Char, there's a Furnish, 
and there's a crooked alley guide. And um, Mum picked the impatient pyromage. So what are you thinking here? I mean, they're not, like we said, this is pre-buff. So I would definitely, the death jaw would be a be- the better card. And, and I think time and fire to me are pretty close in general. Uh-huh. Um, so, so I think that given, given the buffs, I think the death jaw becomes way better than pyromage. Pyromage in general has not impressed me. It's the, the effect is, um, I know people compared it to some certain magic cards that do have similar effects, but this is not even close to those cards. Yeah. So it's just a two, two for two with the chance to occasionally, draw a card that you can potentially play the problem is you have to play that card the turn it's that this goes off it doesn't just draw you the card and let it sit in your hand it just discards it at the end of your turn if you don't cast it so i've i've had multiple multiple scenarios where this has done nothing on that front and i've even gone out of my way to really like set up the onslaught to hope that something happens and it's just not super impressive Though here, there's not a whole lot of other incredible cards. I, I would say Pyromage and Char are actually pretty close, but the the nod just probably goes to the two-drop all around just because uh, early cheap units are hard to come by that are solid, so... I don't. I don't think this pack. This pick was incorrect. Given the buffs, the Death Jaw one hundred percent better than Pyromage. I oh, think. That's, yeah. Because a three-two for two with a much better shifting, the reducing the shift cost is super relevant for that card from four to three. I think is going to be quite significant and have potential for some blowouts and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I wonder if there's an argument. He probably just prefers fire, so. If impatient pyromage and death jaw are close, even in the pre-buff state, he probably just picked the pyromage. Yeah, I, uh, I can't, I can't fault that logic. I'm sure he has he played more drafts than I have recently, so he's got a lot more to go on. Yeah, this is the danger of uh, second guessing man and mouse's drafts here. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would pick Char, but I'm not saying that's right. You know what I mean? All right, so pack one, pick two. Uh, cards in contention. There is the Tinker Innovator, which is the three justice, two, four, when a unit emerges or a unit with charge is played, it gets minus three this turn. There's a, Val- a Valkyrie Accuser, which is the seven justice, justice, three, three, flying Aegis. <clears throat> Play timidity on an enemy unit. There's a corrupted behemoth, a nimble conscript, an eviscerate, and a razor quill. He ends up going with the eviscerate, right? Yes, he does. Interesting. I, I'm surprised a little bit that he went with eviscerate over the nimble conscripts, um, given how that card has been. I mean, performing quite well for a lot of people. I think that uh, having being able to shift a three four for one. Is is pretty impressive, and and specifically with a lot of these aggressive fire decks, too. Though though I mean, eviscerate is very solid. Um, I actually cut eviscerate out of a deck recently. I had two of them, and I it ended up being my final cut because I have a a Carindin, It was more of a Carindin just horn of plenty deck that just wanted to reach maximum just overdrive mm-hmm. on the units and i think a lot of decks are trying to do that 
which is why um, I feel like he even picked potentially the impatient pyromage over the char first is just valuing units over removal. So it's kind of funny to me that his pick two, he kind of goes the other direction and picks the removal over the very solid unit here. So I don't know. I, I feel like I probably would take in the conscripts just to stay on color. Cause I think that it's, it's very powerful and I'm not like the, I, I think eviscerate's great, but I, it's, it's gotten a little, slowly a little bit lower on my pick order personally just from feeling the power and speed of this format recently it's like yeah i've had so many games where i've been like okay well i have eviscerate as my i i get to hit the reset button with this removal spell right and i'm just getting trampled by tons of cheap stuff and powerful combat tricks and stuff that just a sorcery speed five five cost removal isn't quite doing it for me in a lot of games. Um, it doesn't match up well to a deck running nimble conscript, that's for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, that, I probably would have taken the conscripts here, but that's just this is also a preference pick too. Yeah. All right. So pack one, pick three. Yeah, and remember, Mom right now has impatient pyromage and eviscerate in um, his pile, and so pack one, pick three cards of contention. There's a Devotee of Sands. There's Twin Psy, Ferocity of Bears, which is the five primal, give two of your units killer. And that's about it for this pack. And uh, Mom picks Devotee of Sands, which is his third color here. I like that. He's still staying open. He's just picking the best card for his pick three, I think was smart. Yeah, and the only fire card was uh, Call to Arms which is the three fire warp play a plus one weapon on two of your units. And in shadow, there was a boot knife and an amethyst coin. So (laughs) that coin is pretty bad. (laughs) Yeah. Not much going on there. So that makes sense as a pick three. Yeah. No, I, I like that pick a lot. I think that's definitely correct. All right. And pack one, pick four cards in contention. There's a stone scar outfitter with flash grenade um, a Warfront Missionary, and a Belligerent Yeti. And he took the Stone Scar Outfitter. So again, not a really strong pack. So just picking a pretty good card in colors that he has. Yeah, Out- Outfitter's the unit. That, it's a 2-3 for 5 that shifts for 4 and gives all your units plus 1 power. I've kind of valued this card relatively high just because it seems like it has in immediate impact on the board to some degree. And it is almost always relevant in some sort of way and, and just decent top decked and decent if you play it on four on curve with a board full of units. So he wasn't losing out on much. So and the other cards that are in contention, Flash Grenade and Belligerent Yeti, I think are on like a similar level of power as the outfitter so he just ended up taking the one that he already had a card of basically so that was smart i like just sticking with color you already had a card of pack one pick five cards of contention there's a auric reclaimer which is the two shadow two three shift six play a relic weapon with power and toughness equal to the highest power and highest toughness of relic weapons in your void there is an emerald coin, a horn of plenty, a stone scar outfitter, 
and a Sizzleback Salamander. So a few pretty good cards, and he took the Auric Reclaimer here. Interesting. I mean, I, I think for me the pick is between that and the Horn of Plenty. I'm sure he took a moment to think about this one. I, I would imagine it's it's hard to pass Horn in a lot of decks. I think it's it gives you extra twist triggers, and it does lots of really cool stuff in the right deck. Um, but a 2-3 for 2 with the potential for upside. I, I, I don't... That shift ability, I've never seen it come up yet. <laughs> so I think this is mostly a pick just in the direction of, well, it's a 2-3 for 2 in a, in a faction that I'm already, you know, in the shadow that I already have a couple of cards in. So um, this, this one is close, though. It, it would be hard to pass up a horn over a unit that, that isn't stellar or super impressive it's one of the cards that i think i was a little lower on initially when i saw the set yeah i think horn was really impressive even in the big the master's challenge i think it came up significantly in a couple of the decks that did really well in that event but yeah i think for me what i i had to figure out how to build decks that horn work well in because i don't think you can just stuff it into any deck still stand behind my original statement that it's it can be too slow unless you build a deck to protect yourself to like take advantage of it. All right, and then pack one, pick six. Uh, cards in contention. There's a crooked alley guide. There's a sauropod crasher, a bandit's flail, and blink and a sizzleback salamander. And he took the crooked alley guide here, so he is continuing to put himself in shadow here so what do you take here do you think do you think if you had taken um the horn of plenty would there be any reason to take the sword pod crasher or is, are you really hot do you really like the crooked alley guide i yeah i'm just a much bigger fan of the alley guide it's much more flexible and being able to scout is quite relevant in a lot of scenarios when you're either trying desperately to hit your you know power drops or to not hit your power drops one way or the other scout is is always a good ability to have tacked on to something and being able to play it at three or one essentially is pretty cool and i i think that alley guide is has been pulling its weight in a lot of decks all right it's so going into pack two what's interesting is mum here put his time and fire cards into his pool and was really just looking at his uh, Shadow and Justice cards. Because while we didn't review them, he um, picks in his 7th through 12th pick, he managed to pick up an Unseen Ghost Blade, which is the 6-cost 4-4 Relic, as well as an Inner Might. And so he considered those his strongest cards going into pack two so right now he's viewing himself as an argent port list pack two pick one it's a pretty weak pack but there is a flickerling a sharpened reflexes a lingering influence and a copper hall recruit and then in time there's an ancient lore which is the four time time draw two cards each fire. unit on this way gets fire. plus one plus one and there's a pyre adept in fire and he took the flickerling which is interesting. I think, I mean, it's smart because he's a majority shadow, but um, I know you really like Sharpened Reflex. I do. I think that card's fantastic. I, I think there are a handful of Scout Matters things that aren't 
super relevant, but occasionally relevant. But most importantly, the, the permanent buff to one of your units is really great, especially with things like Flickerling so, <laughs> and Blood Nurse and stuff. So he already has one of those. Unseen Ghostblade also is a Spells Matters card and Inner Might. So I think this pick, Sharpened Reflex, is looking a little better than Flickerling all around. But it's it's also hard to just pick up combat trick over a very playable unit mm-hmm. at this stage of a draft. So I don't I don't disagree with the pick at all. I think that's that's also kind of a preferential. But yeah, I probably would have taken the sharpened reflex just because I, I think it's a little more flexible and does does some really powerful things, being a fast spell especially. Alright, so pick uh, pack two pick two. Uh, cards in contention. There's a Hidden Road Smuggler, which is the Argentport Smuggler. There is a Mob Roll, a Dire Fang Spider, and Scheme. And then in Fire, there is Bladekin Apprentice, which is the two fire, one one quick draw. When Bladekin Apprentice attacks, she gets plus one attack. Um, and he took the Hidden Road Smuggler. Nice. I think makes sense where he's at. Yeah, I mean, if he took a smuggler, I'm much higher than he is based on his uh, interview with the show recently. Yeah. I I feel like I'm a little more excited by smugglers in general. But this this one especially, the Hidden Road Smuggler is great. And the fact that he already was solidly in shadow. Yeah, um, and it was passed to him. I, I think it was definitely the pick here, particularly. I know mob mob rule is the type of card that's really hard to evaluate at any given point, but I think is quite good, and I think is slightly undervalued by a lot of players, just because it, there's there's quite a few really potentially powerful targets, even if you only have one or two units in your deck. Thanks to the fact that a lot of units are twisting and start off with high high toughness and mm-hmm. you know gradually increase their attack it means mob, mob rules chances of being able to hit things is a little higher in the format in general so i i do think it's hard to keep your eyes out for quite often because it it seems to fly around in drafts a lot like you can pick up almost any number number of mob rules in some drafts i've found um and it it really does pull its weight. If you have the the nice a, a nice unit count, you know, seventeen plus units, which is probably about where you want to be in general for the draft format. I think it's really good. But I, I'm a huge fan of smugglers, and this edit, this hidden road smuggler, it's worse as a two two life steal for three. So, <laughs> I mean, the downside is minimal. So I, I like that pick too. Yeah, I I agree, and I think I think everyone agrees the smugglers are a little bit better if you're getting past them, and he already has cards in Argentport, so I think it's a good pick here. So pack two, pick three, uh, cards in contention in Shadow. There's an extract in Justice. There's a Valkyrie ba- uh, Valkyrie bodyguard, which is the four Justice Justice three four flying. Valkyrie bodyguard can't attack unless you have armor. And then in time, there's a sandstorm scarf, a porcelain mask, a death strike, viper's bite. And he just took the extract, which yeah, yeah, a great card. Yeah, super straightforward. I don't think there's any question here. The extract was correct 
Have you ever happily played a Valkyrie bodyguard? Yeah, actually, I, I mean, the my most recent seven win deck had Valkyrie bodyguard in it, but I was running a Horn of Plenty. I also got past, or no, I didn't get past, but I opened an Obelisk, and then I had three of the uh, the one two Valkyrie for two that gives you armor. Uh huh. Um, so I, I it, it it slotted in. It wasn't one of my first cards that I immediately added to the deck, but it ended up making the cut just because it seemed relevant and it also played really good defense being a three, it, four for four. Did it ever attack for you? It did. Yeah, it did a couple of times, but it, it felt a little superfluous. Like the deck was already pounding them down with <laughs> a bunch of much more broken cards. It, it was more of a filler card. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't do anything particularly. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm lying. I lo- I won one of those games because they played a ton of, uh, two twos and two one flyers like flickerlings and stuff and the bodyguard did just kind of sit there and keep them from hitting me for a long time and gave me time to develop my game plan so i'm not it's not fair to say the bodyguard didn't do some work definitely it's funny that it's called the bodyguard because it did do that for me for quite a long time it sat there and just was like no they, they just kept passing turn they would just play something and just have to pass turn that's they weren't able to get past the the four toughness apparently for any amount of time so i eventually just won that game so yeah it's not it's not terrible but it's also not something you want to be picking super early i don't think anyway not gonna pick it over an extract when his deck is just mostly shadow cards at this point yeah yeah i think even even the justice that he has not hidden in his pool is not particular. He's got the unseen glows blade, the inner might, and the hidden road smuggler, and even those cards are, you could at this point in the draft maybe throw them to the side for something better potentially. But because he he's just has such a density of shadow at this point. Yeah, our smart way to be navigating this. He's doing a good job. Just you can play a mono shadow deck if you just keep getting past insane shadow cards. So just, yeah. <laughs> I, I think keep that train rolling until the steam runs out. Basically, just yeah. just keep going. I like that that crazy mono fire deck that I had talked about in the last podcast. Just happened because it was like every single pack. What's the best card here? Oh, it's fire. And or the second the very close second place card is a fire card so i just kept picking fire cards until the deck was done and it was like oh okay that was easy (laughs) adding fire sigil times 16 done good deck okay i don't i don't know about mono shadow as a deck there's been one map mono shadow deck oh nice in our yeah who was that fire and two mono justice mono shadow is that skills are imba that's something we pulled off of Warcry. All right, so pack two, pick four, cards of contention. There's another extract. In Justice, there's a soaring, a soaring guard, and then there's an Inspire Obedience. And he took a second extract. Nice. Makes sense, trying to keep, keep the shadow train moving. Yeah, I like that. So to end pack two, he didn't really pick up any other shadow cards. He just picked up a few justice cards, a lingering influence, an Argent Port Soldier, a Fall Short, and then a Seek Power. And then he picked up a couple time cards in Pack Hunt and Cryptic Etchings. But he still views himself as, mo- as an Argent Port deck going into pack three. 
Then in pack three, uh, cards of contention, there is an Auric Captain, which is the six shadow shadow five five lifesteal, your other shadow units of plus one plus one. Seems nice. great in this deck. Yeah. Uh, there's a Ceremonial Mask, which is the six justice justice four four relic weapon. Summon, give one of your units plus four plus four this turn. Also pretty good. There's a Soaring Guard, a Valkyrie Militant, and a Venom Fang Dagger. And he took the Auric Cap. I think that's a pretty straightforward pick. He's yeah. definitely he's definitely in Shadow. That's yeah. his, pri- his primary faction, for sure, at this given point. And, and a, I mean, a 5-5 Lifesteal for 6 is baseline great. Yes. Um, and at being able to buff all your other units as well. <laughs> this is a pretty cool card to be opening at this point in the draft, I think. I, Though, the, and, and he does only have seven units going into... This is pack three. Going yeah. into pack three with seven units is it, cutting a little close. Yeah. In general. but so, so I'm sure he was happy to just pick up something super easy like this. Yeah. And then pack three, pick two, cards of contention. There's a curator spear, a soaring guard, and that's about it for those two colors um in time there's just an infinite hourglass um and then there's a couple good fire cards if you're and, still and, and a re- recon tower right yeah though i don't would you pick recon tower no <laughs> that's why i didn't mention it <laughs> and he just picked the the soaring guard right yes the one two the one two for two flying uh yeah i think that makes a lot of sense it seems much be- much better given the the way his deck is kind of playing out yeah, um, I agree. I, lightning lightning strike is probably the best card, but obviously primal's very far away at this point. Yeah, though I th- there is a pummel and a rebel sharpshooter in fire, which is two pretty good fire cards. But I, I like the soaring guard pick. I think that card's good. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and, and a, you know a, a one-two flyer for two is really good at triggering onslaught in the format. So I think it's it's. Uh, even a little better than it has been in previous formats just because of how much bonus effects you get for just attacking in a lot of decks. Um, cheap cheap flyers are not bad. All right, let's get on to this next interesting yep. pick. It looks like. Pack three, pick, or pack four, pack three, pick three. <laughs> Cards of contention. There is a Moonstone Vanguard, which is the five time time five five endurance pledge. When Moonstone Vanguard attacks, draw a card. When it blocks, gain five life. There is a Valkyrie Militant, a Mob Rule, and an Extract. And Mum picks the Moonstone Vanguard. Yeah, over even getting a third extract. This is a this is a cool pick because I'm sure it'd be. So this happened on stream. I, I bet yes. you, could, you could probably find this and rewatch it but I, w- I would probably like to because this is kind of interesting to see his process because i know he ended up i'm sure pulling out his time cards that he had hidden in his pool and he ended up having an arcanum elite and Devo- devotee of sands uh and a training ground as his kind of playable time card so he has you know a few things to go with because what he's losing by going with this Moonstone Vanguard over the Justice is not a whole lot. He's got the Smuggler, the Soaring Guard, and the Argent Port Soldier. 
an unseen ghost blade it looks like but moonstone vanguard we've talked about it many times before it's one of our top performing rares and even the previous format where yeah, it was also, also present now yeah yeah it's it's just insane it's just a ridiculously powerful card so it it is the type of card that if it does come around uh i think pivoting pivoting is important at times and i think it's really cool that he had set up this draft in such a way to allow for it to make room for this movement because it can feel really bad when you get past something this powerful and you're like can't justify it you're like i don't have any playable cards in that faction i have a split 50 50 between the two main factions in my deck like there's no way i can actually make a double time card work but he didn't put himself in that position he mostly had just solid shadow cards so going in on this moonstone vanguard was pretty pretty keen i like it yeah and i mean getting that late seek power in uh pack two also helped i think a lot to convince him because what he does is he ends up navigating this draft into xenon splashing justice for the smuggler and a couple other cards yeah and like uh ruben said uh, there's a small chance that we'll post a link to his uh to the draft video and he actually went seven wins with it so you can look at the final deck it's deck number 224 on the spreadsheet. And he kept the uh, the merchant in there, so he was splashing. Because he ended up getting a Pearl Abbey smuggler in addition to his Hidden Road smuggler. Yeah, so he played so, both smugglers. Yeah, so he played both smugglers and Fall Short as his Justice cards. But he ended up having two Seed of Progress, wow, and a Karen in Cargo and a Seek Power. So the Justice Splash was basically perfect and free not sure that's that's just amazing when a draft comes together like this that's really really cool to get two two seats to help you splash your secondary factions as well is really neat yeah so yeah this this deck it looks really strong it looks like it just came together really well and had a good balance of um dub two extracts death ripple two eviscerates and then you know a great unit package and also having double smuggler and the smugglers were going and grabbing hall of lost Kings (laughs) as just five, five. That's the seven cost spell that plays a five, five sentinel. And if you have 25 health, you can play five sentinels. I don't know how, how often that came up, but just being able to go grab something big is kind of cool. Although the, I guess only the Pearl Abbey can snag that. It doesn't look like the market was a uh, super game breaking, but but kind of cool at the same time. I, I mean, those are just powerful three drops in general in a lot of decks. Yeah, and those are two very good smugglers of the smugglers. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so I think this is just goes to show you the importance of staying really open, staying really open. But one of the ways to stay open is to go hard into a single color, which allows you to be very open for what your second color is. And so even, you know, as far as pick three, pack three, you know, he was able to pivot into time because he saw that was actually the lane that he was supposed to be in with a very obvious signal. Going back through this draft, there weren't a whole lot of time cards that really screamed 
like pick me at any point. So it's kind of funny that he it's it's such a late pivot, but paid off at the same time because that just shows the power of something like Moonstone Vanguard is the type of card that just will win a lot of games on its own. It's worth just throwing in. Well, what's nice about Moon, a card like Moonstone Vanguard is our cards so obviously powerful is that they are like huge signpost signals. So like if you see that one pick three, pick three in whatever pack you're in, you just know the person, the th- three people behind you or two people behind you are definitely not in time. Because there's if you're in time, there you would never, ever pass that card. If you had any possibility to play time, you wouldn't pass that card. I, even more importantly, I'm not even sure if he was thinking about what those people were thinking. More just like, well, if you're going to pass me this bomb, I guess I'll take it and play <laughs> it. Because <laughs> it's not costing me anything at this point. Yeah. And and he ended up making his power base work pretty effortlessly, it looks like. Yeah, thank you, Mom. And thank you, Ben, for pointing that out to us. All right, so I think that's the end of our show here. Once again, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Thumbs up all of Barefoot Farmer's Reddit posts, and please send in all seven one deck lists you guys and gals are able to do to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Bye. Oh, yeah. Oh, we did it. Did it. Short episode. We managed to do the unthinkable. Yes. I also think this might be secretly like something relevant for ranked potentially. This could the deck with the scorpions. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Patrick's miming. Shut up. Next card, tantrum. Yeah. Wait. Wait. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. uh, There's other people on this show. Oh yeah. No. No. Yeah. I I didn't know how fast you wanted to get through it. (laughs) You got something to add.